USA Wealth Group Inc. presents Money Wise with the Money Guys. Ray Lance and Pete Lance are your hosts for the next hour, talking retirement topics and having the retirement conversation for those at or nearing retirement. For more than 20 years, USA Wealth Group has been committed to helping families protect and grow their wealth. The conversation starts now. Welcome to Money Wise Radio. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to Money Wise. My name is Ray Lance, and I'm very happy to be with you. And also with me this morning is Susan Matthews. Susan, you've been in the real estate business for a very long time. You've been working with your mother for a very long time. I have. Uh, and she's, uh, does she do any real estate work at all right now? She does not, although at 97, she is still sharp as a tack. Yes, she is. And can talk real estate with the best of them. And I've done a great deal of real estate uh, work and closings with her over the years and always admired her. But I always forget that she's 97 years old. Soon to be 98, and yet real estate was something that she absolutely loved and can still put deals together if she wanted to. Sure, sure she could. (laughs) Well, right now you're also affiliated with USA Realty Group, which is terrific, and you get involved in a number of our comparative market analysis to guide people into what they should be asking for their houses. So our show today is actually a follow-up on a show that we did just a week ago when we talked about buying a house and selling a house, and if you missed that particular show, you can look at it on our computer. You can look at it on your computer, I should say, and um, go into uh, usawealthgroup.com and look up our website, and we'll send you some information if you like. We also talked the last time we did this uh, show, or the other show, we talked about a closing checklist. We talked about tips about financing, buying, and selling. So useful information. You know, everybody is interested in buying a house or selling a house at some time, I would say. It's really tough right now. I have some very interesting articles, and um, I want to tell you, this article says, the only certainty right now is uncertainty. This is from the New York Times, and it talks about rising mortgage rates, faltering sales, surging rents. The housing market is baffling, and it's a problem across the country, isn't it? Absolutely. So let me tell you that the date on this particular article is July 10, 2022, a year and a half ago, this article. And although there's some progress finally in the housing market, there's still a huge need. So mortgage rates have gone up. They've gone up as high as 75 to 8% in some cases. But now mortgage rates are coming back down again. Um, but the supply and demand situation is still the same. People can't afford to move. They can't afford to sell because if they sell, then they don't have another place they can afford to buy because the real estate prices are so high. Exactly. So it's a, you, if you sell high, you end up having to buy high. Exactly. And that makes it difficult. Plus the fact, if you have a low interest rate currently and you sell a property, mm-hmm. then if you, when you buy something else, your interest rate could possibly be higher and people don't necessarily want to pay a higher interest rate for their mortgage. Yeah, and a little tip on that too. I've seen people who've been in the office talking about, well, gee, I'm about to retire and I've got some extra money and I was thinking of paying off my mortgage. And I asked them, well, what are you paying for interest rate on your mortgage? And it was three or three and a half percent. And I said, that's a very favorable rate today right now. So maybe you don't wanna sell or pay off your mortgage necessarily. Maybe you keep your mortgage but take some of the extra money you have and invest it a little bit more wisely. Because in today's market, there are many places where you can invest and get a 4%, a 5%, or even higher return. And so sometimes it's not always the smartest thing to do to uh, pay off your mortgage, depending upon the interest rate in particular. Also, if you do that, then you no longer have the ability to deduct the interest on your income tax. So today what we want to talk about is not just affordability of housing, but we want to talk about taxes. We're going to talk a little bit about septic systems for those of you listening who might have a septic system. And we're going to talk about some very specific IRS real estate tax tips, uh, real estate income expenses, uh, real estate tax tips again. 
and there's a lot of things you need to know about taxes in general. I've made it sort of a major interest in my own career, Susan, to really focus a lot on taxes because it is so complicated. Here's an example. In 2022, last year, the Congress passed something called the Secure 2.0 Retirement Savings Law. And that was a law that was passed a year ago. It has 90 new provisions, <laughs> 90 new tax provisions on you know, the fact of what, what can you do with a 529 plan that hasn't been used for education. You can roll it over tax-free into a Roth IRA. Uh, a huge tax benefit for some people. But there's 401k catch-up plans, there's more penalty-free early withdrawals, but 90 new provisions were put into place last year. So how does the average person begin to think about keeping up with a tax law? I don't think the average person cares or wants to negotiate. Or cares. <laughs> well, they care. They just don't want to navigate right. 90 provisions. Well, it's one of the things that I do. So for example, Virtually every single year, I spend a whole week doing nothing but taking a tax study course put up by the University of Miami Law School Heckerling Tax Institute. Wow. I've signed up again to do it uh, this coming January in 2024. I haven't decided whether I'm going to go in person to the event or do it online on the computer, but there's always new stuff all the time. And um, so let's dive in and talk about. What happens when you sell your house? Um, a lot of people say, well, if I sell my house, uh, it's my residence, then I get a $250,000 capital gains tax break, right? Not necessarily. Oh, really? Yep. That's interesting. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand this rule. Um, first of all, it has to be your primary residence. Right. You can't do it for, you cannot do it for a vacation home. Uh, let me ask you a question. So if you have more than one property, how do you determine what is your primary residence? Well, that's a good question. And it can be, um, where do you register to vote? Um, where do your kids go to school if you have kids? Um, where do your bills get sent for you know, your regular utilities? That relates a little bit more about whether you want to claim like a Florida residency, for right, example. because you have a lot of people that do go to south in the winter. Right. So it has to be your primary residence. Typically, it'll show up on your income tax return as your primary residence. If you do something phony and funny uh, and you're claiming uh, taxes or interest as a primary residence and it's not really, and you get audited and it's not correct, then you're gonna be paying some really stiff fines and penalties, wow. including possibly criminal. So, but it has to it has to truly be your primary residence. Um, it's not just an automatic test of do you spend six months or more a year at that location. That's one indicator as well. Like Florida, for example, is very strict about that. Florida says you have to be there residentially for six months a year to claim Florida residency. A lot of people. Uh, pretend they're there when they're not, and if they get caught, then they have problems. Florida has a unique homestead provision, for example, that in Florida, if you are a legal Florida resident, you can protect 100% of the equity value in your house, whether it's a $200,000 house or a $2 million house. Wow. So Massachusetts has a much smaller homestead exemption, for example. Right. Two hundred and fifty thousand for more people, five hundred thousand if you're uh, elderly and things of that nature. So, but a lot of people obviously play games, and you, you just have to be careful how you do it. We have some written uh, standards for how you can judge that example for uh, Florida. But let's come back to the sale of the residence because that's sort of the main question right now. In order to claim the exclusion, you have to meet the ownership test, and you also have to meet the use test. You have to live in the house as your main home for at least two years. So a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and you have to have not only own the house, the ownership test, but you have to have lived there for two years. So if you bought a house and a year and a half later you said, I'm gonna sell it, I'm gonna move someplace else now instead, um, you're not gonna be able to claim the capital gain exclusion 
and it's very, very valuable. Uh, right now, it's uh, $250,000 of the gain if you're an individual or if you file a married joint return. In most cases, it'll be $500,000. So if you paid $300,000 for a house and you're now selling it for uh, $600,000, you say, well, I've got a $300,000 gain. Um, $250,000 of that can be excluded from taxation or 500,000 if you're a married couple in most cases. I have a question. What happens if theoretically someone buys a house, lives in it for a year, and then decides to rent it out for a year and then chooses to sell? They don't qualify for the capital gain exclusion. Okay. Because they have to have lived in it and used it as their primary residence for at least two years. Now, what you can do, which is sort of related, let's say you own this house for five years, but it was four years ago you decided, uh, well, let me give you a better example. Three years ago you decided to move out. So you occupied it and used it as your primary residence for two years. Then you moved out and rented it to somebody, and then you sell it. Uh, because you occupied it as your primary residence for two years out of the last five, you can claim the capital gain exclusion. Wow. So something good to know because some people do that, and they turn around and, uh, and uh, that, that exclusion can be critically important. Now, if you sell your house at a loss, you cannot claim a loss on your primary residence. If it's a rental property, you probably could, but you cannot do that. You cannot claim a loss on your primary residence. Uh, you can get uh, worksheets from the IRS that will show uh, the cost of the house that you sold, the gain, and the gain that you can exclude. We're happy to provide that for you uh, if you need it. But you have to report it um, as a requirement to report it. We've got examples of that. We've got documents we can provide if you call us at 508 998 8858 would be happy to give you that information so it can be complicated taxes are always complicated we're going to take a short break and come back and talk a little bit more about what are some of the other things you can deduct from a tax point of view so stay tuned we'll be right back you're listening to money wise with the money guys hosted by ray lance and pete lance if you have questions about retirement call today 508 998-8858. That's 508-998-8858 for a consultation or a second opinion on your current retirement plan. 508-998-8858. And now, back to MoneyWise with the Money Guys. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ray Lance, and our special guest this morning is Susan Matthews. Um, Good morning, everyone. We're talking about real estate, one of my favorite subjects. You know, my very first job after law school was um, I worked for Prescott Bull and McLeod, did real estate closings five days a week. Usually sometimes I would do four or five of them a day. And in between times, I would search titles. And at one point, I was a land court title examiner. So I've always enjoyed real estate and you know, loved everything I know about it. And during the years, I've bought and sold a number of homes. But I find real estate a lot of fun. I've done a lot of work in the commercial real estate area, too. But let's talk about what's the real estate market going to do? Are prices going to come down? Are mortgage interest rates going to come down? Mortgage interest rates have actually started to fall down a little bit right now. Right. So um, we've got people right now who were going to buy a house or they actually took out a mortgage at a higher rate and now the rates are coming down. Generally, if it comes down a point, a point and a half, then you ought to take a look about um, maybe refinancing because maybe it's worthwhile doing that. But the National Association of Realtors uh, Chief Economist, um, Lawrence Yoon is the name, says they're predicting that existing home sales are going to increase by 15% in 2024, and mortgage rates they're expecting will be between 6% and 7% by spring 2024. So more people should be in the market. And if rates are coming down, then if you're thinking about buying, 
with rates coming down, maybe springtime is a great time to be thinking about buying next year. Spring is always a good time to consider buying because um, buying or selling because properties, a lot of properties generally come on the market in the spring, so you have higher inventory and everyone has just come out of a dreary winter and looking forward to spring and possibly changing their situation. So and there's a lot of pent up demand in general. People want to buy houses and they can't. Yeah. I think we're going to see a, a trend that's out there now um, becoming even more widespread. And that is people moving into smaller houses, almost like mini houses. People have to live somewhere. And the cost of even renting a regular apartment right now is ridiculously expensive. Right. So um, that's one forecast. But I've personally seen some mortgage rates come down. Even VA loan rates have been coming down a little bit. Oh, that's great. Um, As much as a point and a half or a little bit more. Um, I'm going to give a little plug for Stonegate Mortgage, which is uh, located in... Uh, Dartmouth and Payton Aram Village. Uh, it's, it's a great operation. We've worked with a number of people there. And um, maybe you want to start with a mortgage company. You know, we said last week, Susan, that if you want to be a buyer today, try to be a cash buyer if you can. And if not, then at a minimum, make sure you get a pre-approval financing letter so you can wave it at the seller and say, here's my my mortgage approval letter. I don't need to get financed and I'm already approved. Not only is it a good idea to become pre-qualified to entice a buyer, to, a seller to maybe accept your offer or someone else's, but it also gives you the opportunity to know exactly what you can afford. Sometimes sure. people think they can afford something more and you don't want to end up being house poor. You want to be able to afford something without strapping yourself too much right um but somehow you have to beat the interest rates and you have to beat the price market so that reminds me of george carlin he once said if you can't beat them arrange to have them beaten (laughs) he's a very he was a very funny guy in fact i had an opportunity to meet him in person i went to see one of his shows in new york and i've always thought he was hysterical i went backstage thinking he was going to continue to be as funny as he was on stage and he didn't say two words and I was really disappointed because I was expecting the comedy to continue. <laughs> I'm trying to think, was it was it Randy who was wearing a yellow outfit and saw him? I think it was Randy in our office um, <laughs> and she went to a concert also with George Carlin and she was wearing a bright, she was younger, much younger at that point, she was wearing a bright yellow outfit and she was like in the third row and almost one of the first things he said was who's the banana in the third row (laughs) and everybody got a big laugh out of that one but uh he's he's a great guy um one of his favorite expressions also was always do whatever's next (laughs) um not as funny but i like this one too i was thinking about how people seem to read the bible a whole lot more as they get older then it dawned on me, they're cramming for the final exam. <laughs> That's good. But he had, he had some wonderful things to say. Oh, yeah. And he was a little bit cleaner than somebody like, um, oh, who's the other guy we like? Rodney Dangerfield, yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, they're always fun. And um, so let me just tell you something else about mortgage rates in general. Um, This is an article, again, from the uh, National Association of Realtors. It's dated in uh, November, just about a week before Thanksgiving. It says, more relief in mortgage rates this week. For the third consecutive week, mortgage rates fell, and possibly a sign that they've moved past their recent peak. So here's something I didn't realize. Once mortgage rates have started to drop again this past week, Um, they had previously reached a 20-year high in interest rates. I knew the rates were high, but I didn't realize it was a 20-year high. So it's good to know that the rates are coming back down again, and we'll hope that trend continues. And housing prices right now are remaining steady. Um, They're not dropping. If anything, they're probably going to increase over the next 12 months. 
Possibly. There's but no leveling off in the in the near future. No, and part of the problem that is uh, compounding that as an issue is the fact that with inflation, the cost of all the building materials went way up again too. So it just costs more to build. It does, but sometimes people even will maybe do a small renovation on their home while they're waiting to for the marketplace to be appropriate for them to sell. So briefly, just to come back to the sale of a house and the tax aspect of that, if you have more than one home, you can only exclude the gain from the sale of your main home. Uh, the other house that you sell, you're gonna have to pay regular, ordinary capital gains. So I've advised people over the years who were in that situation, they were thinking of selling two homes and then moving someplace else. Let's say it was to Florida. So the first house was clearly their primary residence. Um, they had been there for two out of the last five years. They sold it. They could exclude the capital gain. And then they moved into the other house that they have. They did the same thing. They occupied that for at least two years. Well, that's a good idea. That can then qualify as their primary residence. They can now sell that one. Uh, the, the rules have changed on that over the years, but at least that's the current uh, rule. So that's really good to know. And let's talk about some other things that you can deduct. Well, I think everybody knows that if it's your primary residence, you can deduct, if you itemize your deductions, uh, mortgage interest. Um, but how about real estate taxes? How about points and things of that nature? Um, let's go through some of that because that's important. Um, can you deduct the interest on a home equity line? Let's say you have a regular mortgage and then you put a home equity line in place. Um, it's called a HELOC, Home Equity Line of Credit. Is the interest on that deductible? That depends, depends on a lot of things. So if you basically um, use it to acquire a house, and sometimes people can do that, that would be home acquisition debt, and that could be deductible. But there are some dollar limitations on that. This gets to be a little bit trickier. So you really need to sit down with somebody in our office, for example, and we'll go through that in more detail. Um, if you're using interest on the debt to pay personal living expenses or credit card debt, you wanna pay off credit card debt, uh, that generally would not be deductible on a home equity line. Oh, that's interesting. There's also some um, basis rules, which are very complicated. So let's say you paid $200,000 for a house and you had a $180,000 mortgage first mortgage, you can clearly deduct the interest on that. But let's say the house now becomes worth $400,000 and you go out and refinance it. Can you deduct all the interest on the new mortgage, which is higher than what you originally paid for the house? Not necessarily. The rules get much more complicated on that. So you have to pay close attention to what you paid. Uh, the IRS has very detailed uh, rules and ideas and things you can do and not do. But mortgage interest paid on a second residence, uh, can you deduct the interest on that? Uh, yes and maybe is the answer. So if you pay interest on a mortgage on a second residence and you're using it personally, it's generally going to be deductible as long as the mortgage is similar to what you did on your primary residence. So for example, if you bought your house before 2017, um, basically at the end of the year, uh, the total amount that you can treat as acquisition debt, that's a really key phrase, on your mortgage, uh, main mortgage and second mortgage is a million dollars for a married couple, or 500 if it's separate, uh, then generally you can deduct the interest. Beyond that, the rules get trickier, so then they relate to the value of the loan, whether it's acquisition debt when you buy the house or not, or whether it's refinanced interest. People automatically assume just because they own the house and they've been deducting the interest, and the house increases in value and they get a larger loan, they think that automatically they can go and deduct the interest. Not necessarily. Wow. Don't, are... don't get it wrong because get some advice on that before Absolutely. you do it. There are way too many unknowns yeah so the rules are complicated simply simply complicated we're going to take a break in just a, a little bit and then when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about uh we're going to talk about title five and septic systems and some of those things 
and a few other tax tips that you want to think about. But in the meanwhile, um, let me just leave you with a quick parting thought before we take our break. He said, George Carlin, I went to a bookstore and asked the saleswoman, where's the self-help section? She said if she told me, it would defeat the purpose. <laughs> I like that one. great <laughs> sayings. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned. This is Money Wise Radio with Ray and Pete Lance. Powered by the USA Wealth Group. Helping clients define and plan for their retirement goals. To begin a retirement consultation, call 508-998-8858. That's 508-998-8858. This is Money Wise Radio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our part two segment on real estate and real estate taxes and expenses and what can you deduct. You know, fewer and fewer people can itemize their deductions today. I think it's estimated that only 15% of all tax filers now itemize their deductions. Why? Because the standard deduction that people are allowed to take has increased. So it's easy to fill out your returns. If you've got a question about it, ask your tax preparer or try to figure it out for yourself, but do it both ways. If the standard deduction gets you a better tax situation or a better refund, use that. If itemizing gives you a better refund, then you use that one. Sometimes you're gonna be close and you'll have to do it both directions. But um, we know that if you do itemize your deductions, you can deduct your mortgage interest if it's your primary residence. You can also deduct real estate taxes. Most people don't pay a lot of attention to real estate taxes. Some local cities and towns, for example, offer uh, benefits if you are a senior or if you are a veteran and have uh, surviving spouses. Often those tend to be low-income seniors for that particular veteran benefit. Um, Attorney Tenny Lance in the office here where the law firm does uh, work helping people to understand that a little bit. And if they get certain income from the Veterans uh, Administration, then often they're gonna be in a low-income category in the first place, and they'll get a benefit on their real estate property tax bill. Sometimes people with disabilities, uh, sometimes if people have agricultural land, they might get a, a break on their taxes. We've already talked about capital gains taxes, so we're not gonna go into that, but um, you cannot deduct your utility bills you cannot deduct your insurance if it's your residence. But real estate taxes, absolutely. I have a question. Now, if someone owns, a, let's say, a two-family. Right. And they're owner-occupied. Okay. So now how does it work as far as what they can deduct? Can they still deduct real estate taxes on a two-family? And are there different rules that apply because part of its income? That's really a great question. You know what my answer is? I'm gonna research that one. <laughs> I mean, logically, if it's your primary residence, you can claim a lot of things. Right. But if you're using part of it for business, I think you're gonna to have to allocate it between the business portion and the residential portion. Well, it becomes more complicated anyway. Exactly. But it's good that you ask complicated questions. Okay. <laughs> you see, I do a lot of, um, tax planning, but I don't necessarily do uh, tax returns. The only tax returns we do in the office here are done by the law firm, and that's if somebody dies and has to file an estate tax return. But um, mortgage interest, yeah, um, generally you can deduct the interest you pay on up to a $750,000 mortgage or three seventy-five if you're married filing separately. Um, Real estate investors um, generally can deduct all the real estate taxes they're gonna pay because it's part of the business operating costs. They take into income the rent, but then they get to deduct the property taxes. So if you're using the property, I think 50-50, uh, then I think you'd allocate that. So maybe you'd make out because you would end up uh, deducting the taxes on the rental value as well. You take it off the rent, essentially. 
with rental property as opposed to your own residence, you can also depreciate the property, which means you write the cost down every year. And in many cases, you won't pay a nickel of income taxes because from the rent you can deduct uh, as a business expense, real estate taxes, insurance on the property, which you cannot deduct on your personal residence, um, and you can also claim depreciation. You can do it for an office building. You can do it for residential rental real estate. Um, so the rules get a lot more complicated on, on that. We're not going to go into a real estate investment trust or 1031 exchanges. And we're happy to refer anybody to some tax preparers who can do that. So do you think that sometimes when we talk about things on the radio that we are treated as authority figures? I would think so. Okay. Because George Carlin once said, I have as much authority as the Pope. I just don't have as many people who believe it. <laughs> yeah, that's, tr- that's very true. He was kind of saucy and sarcastic most of the time, wasn't he? <laughs> so... He also said, which I like this one, he, George Carlin once said, when you step on the brakes, your life is in your foot's hands. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we think about it that way, but that's a good one. No, but that was clever. All right, I'm going to give you one more George Carlin quote. It may be my last Carlin quote for the day, but this is, I like this one. George Carlin said, you know the good part about all those executions in Texas? Fewer Texans. <laughs> He was saucy and sar- sarcastic and irreverent. and irreverent and politically incorrect and all those things. But he was funny. Endearing. Endearing is a good word. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, septic systems. I wonder how many people have a septic system. The rules are all over the place on septic systems right now. Oh, that's very true. And it used to be a lot simpler. Um, it's gotten much more complicated. and. For people that live in a city and are on city water and sewer, they probably have no idea what they're talking, what we're talking about. But oftentimes, you find people will move out to the country, and then suddenly they're faced with a septic system. So, if you're on the buying end of it, it is the seller's responsibility to have the the septic system tested right. to see if it meets the you know requirements mm-hmm. and. Um, and then if it doesn't, then there are options. And generally the sellers, in the past, the, most of the time, the sellers will take care of those upgrades if upgrades are needed or replacement. But people have gotten very creative over the years too, mm-hmm. where they have, um, sometimes the buyer will share in those expenses depending on what the price of the property is. True. And um, sometimes sellers don't want to be responsible for it at all, and they, they leave it entirely up to the buyer. And it is all part of the negotiation process. Sure. And the starting point of that is really that it's a legal requirement that the septic system be inspected. Right. If it doesn't comply with current Title V requirements, then you got to do something about it. Exactly. It's got to get fixed. qualified inspector will know what needs to be done either yeah. the and they will make the recommendations they'll tell you that this would be the cost to do the upgrade this would be the cost to do the replacement right and if you do live in a city and you still are on private septic it may also be more worth your while to tie into the city sewer or septic right. um, but then again depending on how far away you are from the main line it can be more cost-effective to just upgrade your own private system. Well, generally, if you're in the suburbs, for example, it is a very costly expense. It is a law that you have to do it. It sometimes can be a question of negotiation, and sometimes there's just not enough time to replace the system. Right. And you have to go through and have the water level tested and where it's going mm-hmm. to be, and that's why you'll see these humps in the ground sometimes. Oh, yeah. Because people have to build what's called a raised system. Yes, well, if you have if there's a high water table in certain areas, then your system most likely will be raised, and hopefully you can do it in a way that doesn't make the property unappealing. Yeah, grow corn on top of it or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
But in any event, uh, you have to go through a testing process. You have to have a percolation test done to make sure the water is going to uh, seep properly into the ground. And if not, then you have to build it someplace else, or you have to build a raised system and bring in a lot of gravel so exactly. that you'll have soil that will actually drain. So it's a complicated process. But what happens if people cannot agree or they can't get it done in time? The buyer's concerned. The buyer wants to know that they're not going to get stuck paying right. a lot of money. So sometimes well, there'll be an escrow account. Right. There's all kinds of ways. Um, it, the seller can, buyer and seller can agree that the seller will escrow money. So the money would be put into an account. Probably, most likely, it's in the account of an attorney. Then the buyer has a two-year time frame to do the upgrades. And when those upgrades are done, um, then the the money will be taken out of escrow to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And generally, what the amount that is escrowed is one and a half times the cost of the system. So after getting several estimates, right. then they will figure out, so if a system is gonna cost $30,000, right. they'll escrow 45. So in, in our business here, and a lot of the closings that you've done, we've seen many examples when money has to be held back in escrow right. from the seller's funds. There's one other little glitch, and that is on the buying end, the buyer uh, sometimes is getting a mortgage through a bank that won't necessarily agree to that. So once the seller finds out that's what the situation is, then they need to communicate, this, the realtors need to communicate with each other to find out if the buyer has a bank that will agree to the escrow. And if not, they can generally find a bank that will agree to it. Okay. So in very recent uh, news from Massachusetts Real Estate News, uh, this is Metro West and other areas, they talked about what's the installation cost of a Massachusetts septic system. And again, this was um, the end of November this was published. And they basically said, on average, septic system installations can cost around $20,000. I think that's a little on the low side from what I've seen. But it also says, Specialized or complex engineered systems can cost as much as $50,000. So that's why whether you're the buyer or the seller, you want to get several estimates on what it's going to cost so you know the right amount of money to hold in escrow. Also, if you own a property that has a septic uh, system, you want to make sure that whatever records you have, you keep them handy because... um, Oftentimes, you may have a record of something and the the city or the town may not have it, and that is helpful to an inspector because they need to locate. Okay. We're going to take another short break, but I do want to say that we've got a lot of information available to uh, you. If you have questions about it, give us a call. We can refer you to somebody who can give you an estimate for replacing your septic and tell you about the process. And call us at 508-998-8858. Ask for Susan Matthews or ask for me. We'll be happy to share with you information on how to go about this in a little bit more detail because it's a big thing. Remind me when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about Dartmouth Honey Wagon. I had experience with them recently. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned. It was a positive one. (laughs) It was a positive experience. I'll tell you more about it. Money Wise is in many places. If you missed a minute of the show or want to listen to past episodes of Money Wise, go online to usawealthgroup.com and click on the radio page. That's usawealthgroup.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about some pretty crappy subjects today. We're talking about septic systems, for example. I guess that's a word that I can use on the air, right? That's a clean, dirty word that I could use. Yes. It's acceptable. (laughs) It's acceptable. Well, septic systems are kind of funny things to talk about, so... In my house that I live in in Dartmouth, we have a septic system. And the first thing we did when we got there is um, we had the system pumped out because we wanted to make sure that it was okay. And uh, we've also had plans designed to replace it. So here's a couple of things. Recently we said, you know, it's been five years. Maybe we ought to just pump it again just in case. Works perfectly fine. It's functional and everything else. So I brought in Dartmouth Honey Wagon to come do it. Had a really 
wonderful, interesting conversation with a guy. And he wore um, black rubber boots and he wore gloves and he had all these hoses all over his tank. And he stopped at the end of my driveway and he ran hoses for about, I don't know, 60, 70 feet, I guess. There was no smell, there was no odor. And he was in a different kind of a business before. And he had the opportunity to acquire this business. And I can't remember if it was a family business or not. I don't think it was. But since then, he has an adult daughter who also does the business with him. And sometimes she'll go out and do the job. And he said, this is one of the best jobs I've ever had. He says, I don't touch anything. I don't get dirty. I said, where does it go? Where does the substance go that you take out of the tank? And he says, well, I take it down over by the airport. And there's a public dumping facility over there, and I just dump it in. And he gave me more details about it that it's not worth going into detail on the air about it. But he said, yeah, he says, I work fewer hours than I worked before. I get paid well. I enjoy what I do and um, make a fair amount of money doing it. So, And helping people along the way. Yeah. Well, you know, and that uh, relates also to another client that we have who is in the business of uh, recycling cooking oil from restaurants. And who would have thought of that as a business? And it's a franchise that he bought. He does extremely well with it. He goes up, and it's like if somebody is frying French fries and the oil gets, you know, uh, dirty after a while, they suck the oil out, they recycle it, and put it through a whole series of filters and put it back in again. It's all clean again to reuse. It's a franchise. Who would have ever thought of something like that? That's amazing. But um, unfortunately, you can't do that with a septic system. You can't <laughs> recycle it and put it back in. Even if you could. I'm not sure the, no. the so. idea of it would be very interesting. Well, George Carlin, my, my last quotation from George Carlin today said, what does it mean to pre-board? Do you get on board before you get on? So think about, think about that one for a second. You're going to pre-board before you board. There you go. <laughs> well, let's come back. We've talked enough about septic tanks and septic systems, I think. It is an expensive thing to do. There's one other little tip I'll give to people, though. Let's say you have a house that you're thinking you might want to create another apartment in someday, and you need to redo a septic system, or you acquire a house that you think has potential for expansion and adding another bedroom into it, or you want to add on a bedroom at some point. Maybe it's a two-bedroom house and you want to make it into a three-bedroom house. When you go to design the new septic system that has to get constructed, why don't you have it designed for capacity to support the three-bedroom house? Now you can later go ahead and add on the third bedroom, but you've already got an approved septic system that's going to qualify for that. Ooh, absolutely. We've advised a number of clients. Uh, Peter has done that, Peter Lance, on a number of occasions and helped people out enormously, spend a little bit more on the septic system, get it designed for a different system, and um, you'll save yourself some money and be able to do something better later. Sometimes people have a two-bedroom home, but they don't realize that when the system was designed, it was actually designed for a three, but it's only been a two-bedroom home. So sometimes you find out information when it gets inspected, what the capacity is. Right. And then you'll have to update it. What if you are a homeowner, let's say you're getting older and you want to move to a different house, but one of your children would like to acquire your house and wants to buy your house? Um, do you have to go through Title V inspection? It's the sale. Technically, you do. Yes? I was going to say my initial answer would have been yes, but then I was. my thought is if, it's, if you're just transferring title, right. do you still have to have... So technically, it's a sale. So let's say it's a sale. You're selling your house to your daughter for $400,000, she's going to get her own mortgage to do that. Oh, well, then if there's a mortgage. And, um, yeah, not too many people get to pay cash today, but let's, let's say you're doing that. Well, I guess even if they were paying cash, technically you should do a Title V inspection and comply with the Title V requirements. But what happens if it's a perfectly functioning, well-operating septic system? We have done that on a number of occasions, and uh, I'm not going to go into huge detail on it for a number of reasons, but 
there's a way by using some trust planning where you can shift around ownership in a trust and have the sale take place that way and avoid going through a septic replacement when you have a very well-functioning septic system. Uh, not everybody is happy to hear that necessarily, but there are ways that can be done. So anyway, if you're in that situation, we'll sit down with you and if you want to make an appointment and tell you how we could help you save some money and do that. That sounds like a great so, idea. So back to rental real estate briefly and rehabilitation tax credits. Right now, if you put solar power, you can get solar credits for doing that. There's specific IRS requirements for doing that. What happens if you give an easement to the local conservation commission because you've got some backland that you don't really use, but there's value to it? You can do a conservation easement for part of the land in the back and be able to claim a tax deduction for it. It requires appraisals. It's a little bit complicated. But there's all kinds of things you can do. What if you have a piece of property that you're thinking about selling that has much more than the normal minimum acreage required? Why don't you look into whether you could subdivide it? Or what if you have a house, um, but you also have a second residence on the property? You have a smaller guest house. Well, there's uh, a zoning law, for example, that says if you have two structures on the same lot and it predates the zoning bylaw adoption or the zoning ordinance in the case of New Bedford, which is more common, uh, you might be able to subdivide that into two parcels, even if the parcels are currently smaller than what the minimum lot size is. We've done that on many, many occasions, and we've created a lot more value for people in doing that. What if you hear that in your town that you live in that the town is thinking of uh, increasing the lot size requirements? They're going to go from a 30,000 square foot minimum lot to a 50,000 square foot minimum size lot. And you happen to have a 60,000 square foot lot that you're on. Well, if that zoning change goes through, what it means is you're going to get stuck with just one lot because you got a 50,000 foot minimum. On the other hand, if you take a look at your 60,000 square foot lot and you subdivide it into two parcels, before that goes into effect, you got to take another couple of steps beyond that. Now you could take that extra lot and put it into a different entity, a trust, a corporation, something else, and preserve it possibly as a separate buildable lot for the future. Yeah, that's a great idea. We've done that on many, many occasions. <coughs> and when you do that, you've made room for a child to build a house or you've made the ability to create more money for yourself. I've helped a lot of people do that kind of thing. There's so many things you could do with real estate, but you got to get some advice. Um, taxes are something that concerns everybody. In Massachusetts, we have a number of different taxes. We've got real estate taxes. We've got income taxes. And... Um, People think, well, I'm going to move to New Hampshire because it doesn't have an income tax. But watch out for the real estate taxes. Oh, the real yes. estate taxes in New Hampshire are extremely high. They're astronomical. Same thing in Florida. Florida does not have an income tax, but they've got a very high sales tax, higher than Massachusetts. I think it's like 7.5%. It is. It's much higher. And what people don't realize, I owned, for a while, I owned property in New Hampshire, and I was astounded at the real estate taxes sure i mean it was a second residence but still the taxes were crazy so taxes are with us to stay there's an article very recently that the governor of massachusetts governor healy was supporting proposed legislation that would create a further tax on the sale of residences that sold for more than a million dollars the excess over that cities and towns would be given the option to adopt legislation that would allow them to tax as a transfer tax the amount greater than a million dollars and so you can say well those are rich people and they've got you know million dollar plus houses but there's another tax that potentially is going to be charged by cities and towns so taxes are everywhere anything you can do to reduce taxes and save taxes makes a lot of sense. You don't need to pay more than what you have to. 
But the most important thing we want to leave you with today as we close down our session is if you want some professional real estate advice, give a call to 508-998-8858. Ask for Susan or ask for Pete, Pete Lance or ask for me. We'd be happy to send you some information or we'd be happy to assist you whether it's recommending some contractors or appraisers, you know, we've got a lot of information in all those areas that we can help you with. Or just people that, if you own a home, um, I always advise people every so many years, just get an updated market analysis. So you know what your marketplace is, you know what the property would sell for today in case you decide you wanna sell, Mm -hmm. or if, you know, you may not be thinking today, but you might, something circumstances could happen and you might be thinking that you know it might be something that you have to do quickly and so if you understand what the marketplace is by getting a market analysis and you know the value of your home then you can make some decisions easier okay and i'm going to give a final word here because we're really out of time at this point another good reason to do that susan is to make sure you carry enough insurance on your house because if you don't have enough insurance on your house and you suffer a bad loss and you're underinsured, you can end up paying for part of the cost of that loss. You will be a co-insurer with your insurance company. So that's another reason to keep up with the update on making sure you have enough insurance. With that, unfortunately, we have to stop talking. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Ray. It was my pleasure. And we will see you again next week on the radio. USA Wealth Group Incorporated is not affiliated with or endorsed by the U.S. government or any governmental agency. Insurance products are offered through the insurance business USA Wealth Group Incorporated. Any references to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying abilities of the issuing carrier. This radio show is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be used as the sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice designed to meet the particular needs of an individual situation. USA Wealth Group Incorporated is not permitted to offer, and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not affiliated with or endorsed by the U.S. government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions contained herein provided by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by USA Wealth Group Incorporated. This radio show is a paid placement.